Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Susan Tellum, Executive Director of American Tortoise Rescue, or ATR, a nonprofit organization established in 1990 for the protection of all species of turtles and tortoises. American Tortoise Rescue is gearing up for World Turtle Day on May 23rd. Marking its 23rd year, World Turtle Day was created by ATR to cultivate respect for and wider knowledge about some of the world's oldest creatures. World Turtle Day has truly gone global with turtle aficionados across countless countries gathering to celebrate. Did he just say celebrate? Yes, I did. The day with thousands of educational events, parties, fundraisers, and more. On less festive occasions, just plain old days, American Tortoise Rescue maintains a sanctuary until I'm co-founded with her husband, Marshall Thompson. Over the years, the pair has rescued and rehomed thousands of turtles and tortoises. We'll hear more about World Turtle Day, American Tortoise Rescue, and I'm guessing some specific tortoises and turtles when I speak with Susan Tellum in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Also coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Kendra Conzi, the owner of Health Mutt, a natural pet market and dog wash in Seminole Heights that is holding a pet fest this weekend, May 20th and 21st, featuring a variety of elements including adoptable animals, local pet vendors, a raffle, food, beer, and more. Right now, though, let's talk tortoises and turtles with Susan with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Susan Tellum on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Thanks for joining me on Talking Animals today. Oh, I'm delighted. Thank you so much. So if I started out our conversation asking why turtles, you could probably reply, why not turtles? And then the interview might be over and we would just sit here for 30 minutes of awkward silence. So uh, let me start in a different way. Uh, When did you first become enchanted with turtles? Well, it's kind of interesting because for many years, starting when I was about 21, I was a cat rescuer. Mm. And um, I always loved cats. And um, so I... I was on the board of the directors of a, of a cat rescue. And um, so that went on for a number of years. And um, one day, my husband, Marshall, and I were sitting in a bar, and we were eating some kind of fish um, at the same time, you know, having a nice drink. And um, I looked at him, and I said, you know, we love animals. Why are we eating them? And he looked back at me and said, I don't know. And at that time, which was about 30 years ago, we became vegetarians. Mm. And, um, and so, anyway, we were sitting there, uh, and we were in a pet store one day, and um, there were two box turtles sitting in for sale. And normally, I would never buy any kind of animals, but... I didn't really have any experience with turtles, and um, my family loved animals, and we had all sorts of animals at home. So I said to him, maybe we should buy them, and we did. We took them home, and we named the box turtles Peggy Sue, and um, the that was the beginning of our journey, moving from cats, although I, I still have um, cats, uh, to turtles. And when uh, that, that was a long time ago, you know, and, um, so we decided to start reading up on them, and we were pretty surprised.
surprised to learn that most people didn't know anything about turtles. They just thought they were rocks with legs. <laughs> so um, we um, we wanted to be good um, caretakers. So we learned everything we could, set up the the place for them to live, and so on and so forth. Um, and um, coincidentally, um, Peggy Sue eventually, because we didn't know that much, broke out of their place that they lived and disappeared, and we never saw them again. Oh. But that um, that whole conversation about um, turtles and tortoises for us was a game changer. And so uh, then what we decided to do after we did our reading, we found out there were no turtle rescues in the United States, um, at least uh, for the United States. There probably were small ones around, but we, we didn't see anything, you know, and it was the day before the internet, it was the days before the internet when things, you know, you learned a lot. Quickly, and, yeah. um, so we, um, we put out the word with um, veterinarians and other people saying, hey, we're going to start a turtle rescue. If you get any in that people don't want, let us know. And um, before we knew it, we had a flood coming in because a lot of people didn't know what to do with the turtles or tortoises when they didn't want them anymore, which is kind of, which is very sad, obviously. Sure. So um, because of that, we ended up having to move because we didn't have enough space. So now we have an acre and a half and um, that was the beginning of American Tortoise Rescue, and wow. it became a nonprofit in 1994, and um, then that's when the thousands of turtles started coming in. <laughs> so, so they didn't all come in. We rescued them, you know, over the Internet, told people what to do, where to go, and so on and so forth. But we were the first tr- national turtle and tortoise rescue, and um, we're very proud of that. That's great. So I've got a few questions based on what you just explained. One is, was it strictly, I mean, obviously you had a background previous to the going to the pet store and seeing the box turtle with cat rescue, so you were inclined to kind of, I guess, be a rescuer anyway. But was it just almost spur of the moment that once you got Peggy Sue, you said, hey, maybe we should do more or can do more than just have this box turtle living with us? Well, I think it was doing the research and finding out that there was so little uh, in the area of saving turtles and tortoises and so little information available Yeah, because there are no, there really weren't a lot of books. They were pretty much scientific or doctor, you know, uh, veterinarian oriented. And so that was really the reason. And um, so, uh, you know, I think that, that that spurred us on. Here's something just to do a little bit of tortoise uh, 101, maybe. What are the differences between turtles and tortoises? How do we compare and contrast them? Well, I think the most obvious is, um, and this is in general, that a turtle um, is, uh, is a carnivore and is, um, tends to be more wild, and a tortoise is um, a vegetarian. And um, I think that um, tortoises are more likely, um, well, e- each state is different, so I, I don't want to generalize, but um, they, that's the basic difference is that one's a vegetarian and one's a, a meat eater, if you will, although they, we don't feed the meat. Um, per se. So, wow. So, so yeah. it really comes down to that. So it's not so much habitat or some other things that somebody might think if they didn't know about the uh, carnivore vegetarian thing. It's 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 strictly those, those that factor what they eat and what they don't eat. Well, the habitats in general, you know, um, turtles 
uh, like water, you know, water, there's quite a few turtles that are water-based. Um, you don't see that with a tortoise. Uh, the tortoises are tend to be on land, but yeah. there are a lot of turtles that are on land as well. So, you know, the box turtles, um, for example, we have quite a few box turtles at the sanctuary, and um, they, they, while they like to soak, they don't really want to go swimming. Um, we do have a pond where the turtles have been. In fact, the turtles in our pond have been there for 25 years, which is hard to believe. Wow. So, um, yeah. They, I guess they, they like it there. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, they can sun, they're safe. Um, the, we have a, a a um, cage, if you will, a big, huge area, but it covers the whole pond so that no critters can get in and, um, you know, attack them, if you will. Yeah. No, it sounds like they feel comfortable and safe. And, uh, and again, if there's been a quarter of a century for some of them, uh, obviously they, they aren't going anywhere by uh, they given their druthers. <laughs> So, um, no, they know me and they come out of the pond when they see me because they think they know that food is coming. So, <laughs> um, you know, turtles and tortoises are a lot smarter than people think. They they really are incredible creatures. And if you live with them, you find out all the interesting things about them. So, um, you know, I always encourage people who are getting one to, to really spend time with them and, and uh, get to know them and their little idiosyncrasies and, um, what they like to eat, what they don't like to eat. And, yeah. Um, just don't don't throw them in the backyard and say, "Well, that's that." You know, yeah, no, it sounds like they, no, it sounds like they want and need and respond to more, certainly a good deal more stimulation than enrichment than that. So, uh, so we do have one email question uh, that I thought maybe I'd pass along at this moment. It says, I was curious about whether your guest has encountered people who took gopher tortoises from the wild and kept them as pets. I saw an amazing gopher tortoise colony at Wickham Park in Melbourne, Florida a few years ago. Uh, well, unfortunately, people still take turtles out of the wild and it isn't just um, your next door neighbor or friends or Americans. A lot of turtles are taken out of the wild here um, by poachers and by people who have um, uh, have plans to send them to other countries where they're considered either valuable or food. And so um, that is one of the status part of what we do is um, working with um, fish and game and places like that that have brought us tur turtles or tortoises that were confiscated from um, people who were doing, um, planning on taking them. In fact, we, we got a, a number of turtles, um, not recently, but in the past from Fish and Game, where they were all bundled up in and um, ready to go to China. Um, they were in a uh, in the airplane, but they were um, found before they had left, and they brought them to us, and um, they were box turtles. But all sorts of turtles are exported, um, especially the ones that are considered the most valuable. And then, of course, there's lots and lots of our native turtles being sent for food to other countries. So that trade sounds like it's pretty active, and, and related to that, there's more than a little poaching going on. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Susan Tellum, Executive Director of American Tortoise Rescue, or ATR, a nonprofit organization established in 1990 for the protection of all species of turtles and tortoises. If you have a question for Susan or a comment about tortoises or turtles or related topics, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-433. 0885. So just back to a little bit of history. What was it like in those earliest days when it turns out you were the only 
game in town in terms of turtle or tortoise rescues. And since it sounds like I think you alluded to this kind of, some of it at least predating the internet even, how did people hear about you and how did they know to say, hey, we can send our turtles here or ask our questions of, of these folks? The, the turtle questions, tortoise questions that we have? Well, in my other life, I um, ran a public relations agency. So I kind of knew how to get the word out about mm-hmm. what we were doing nationally. And um, so people would either call or e- email or send, um, you know, a letter saying that they either wanted to adopt or they wanted to get rid of their turtle or tortoise. So um, even though it was pretty early in the Internet um, stage, it was still possible, you know, to to um, use it. But most people either called or um, or emailed. I mean, or um, sent me a letter requesting help, and um, they came from all over the U.S. And in the beginning, we actually had people ship us turtles and tortoises, and that. Um, was very successful, actually. We only Mm. had one occasion where um, a gentleman sent what he said was two turtles, and when they arrived, one was not alive, and I contacted him. I said, I'm sorry, you sent me a dead turtle, and he said, oh, no, he's just hibernating, and I said, well, I can tell the difference between hibernating and dead, and that turtle was not hibernating anymore. So, um, anyway... Mm. Then um, the years, not many years passed, and I realized that it was not safe anymore with the traffic and everything that was going on and sitting on the tarmac. It was not a good idea to ship anymore, and I, um, I stopped doing that. And also at the same time, there were other people who finally started turtle rescues. And I became very good friends with one who also was um, national, but she was on the East Coast. And um, yeah, and then it, it just kind of took off. And I'd like to think that we were instrumental in um, telling people, you can do this. You can become a turtle rescue. And here's what you need. You actually need to have money. <laughs> because it's a very expensive thing to do. To, to um, care for a turtle or a tortoise, it, it takes... Uh, well, you know, um, if you're a rescuer. If, yeah. Uh, for example, yesterday I had two bills for $79. One was for fish because we have to buy live fish for one of our um, one of our rescues. And um, and also we put them in the pond for the other turtles. And then the other one was for worms because we buy 3,000, 5,000 worms at a time for all the box turtles because they need live food. Mm. They need to be able to chase and eat, you know, eat, eat them and um, be like they would be in the wild. So it's, it's an expensive uh, thing to do if you want to start a rescue. That's what, you know, because I ask people ask me all the time, how can I start a rescue? And I, I just say, you know, it's 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 a, a great thing to do, but you have to be prepared for a lot of cars. And I'm sure there's probably quite a few people you've heard from over the years who maybe didn't necessarily want to start a rescue, but did want to have turtles, but had questions or, or just lacked initially at least some of the expertise. So were those some of the people you were hearing from and getting inquiries from like, hey, we have these turtles here. We're not looking to do anything with them or send them anywhere or necessarily even develop this into a, uh, to a rescue. We're just not quite sure how to proceed. I, I think that um, we get a lot of questions about, um, in, the, in the beginning, especially when there wasn't very much information, we got a lot of questions from people on how to care for them. Yeah. One thing that the saddest to me is that people will get them and then just plop them in a tank. Mm. And that's not a good way for a turtle to, uh, to live or tortoise. Yeah, it's 
just very sad because here they are out in the wild and they have all these places to go and everything, to, you know, to, to be a real turtle or tortoise. And then they get in a, a glass tank and they have nothing to do all day. It's very sad. So I encourage people, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to get a turtle or a tortoise, make sure you have an outside area that's safe that you can build and, and let them be outside. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be small, assuming that they're the turtle is small, but one of the biggest problems we have is the sulcata tortoise, which is um, one of the largest tortoises in the world. And back about 20 years ago, somebody started to sell sulcata tortoises when they were little. And um, I started doing my homework and I sent out a press release 20 years ago that said, this is going to be the biggest vein of our existence in the turtle rescue business. Mm. And sure enough, here we are 20 years later, and I get an email at least once a day from somebody wanting to get rid of their sulcata because they are huge and they are they destroy everything. They break down, they, they try to come into glass doors, you know, they try to smash through the glass doors. They knock over your lawn furniture. They eat all your plant. Um, wow. they're, they're, you know, they're just too big. And most people will call me as soon as the, or contact me as soon as the tortoise reaches 10 years. That's when they become uh, very, very aggressive. They get um, their hormones start working. And um, so uh, that is one tortoise that I would tell people, don't get one unless you have a huge property and you can really take care of them well, because I can't take them. No rescue in the U.S. can take them. And there are quite a few uh, turtle and tortoise rescues now, I'm happy to say. So um, th- and when I talk to my other rescue friends, um, we all have the same problem. Problem. We get calls about the, the sulcata tortoise. And can you spell that just so people listening be, be sure to be aware of uh, what they might be getting into, at least innocently at first, and then they're going to have probably a problem on their hands later? Yes, it's S-U-L-C-A-T-A. Okay, thank you. All right, cool. Let's take yeah. a call. We have a call. I'd like to get involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Hands with Susan Tellum. Hi, uh, is this me? Yes, go ahead, please. Okay, yeah, hi. Um, I wanted to say, I about 20 years ago, I had, um, my husband and I rescued a lot of the turtles, um, both fox turtles and basking turtles. Um, we kind of started off with, we had a little teeny turtle that, that grew up and we thought we got to make a pond for them. And we, we were blessed because our property was, you know, uh, there was a big forest in Gainesville um, and, and pond sinkhole. So we, we made a couple, a double pond and it was very, um, it, it was very nature. And we put, we, cause he was getting too big. We put him in there. And every time we go on trip, we would find um, injured turtles in the road. My favorite being a, a one-eyed uh, a basking, tr- or I'm sorry, box turtle. And we, she had a split. Uh, the the her shell was split open, and she admit she had lost one eye to a car. And we thought she wouldn't live, but she uh, not only lived, but she just flourished. Um, after we had her take care of her. Meanwhile. We ended up probably having about 30 turtles. It was, it was 
actually very inexpensive and very easy for us. We got um, mosquito fish for the pond, and once a year we had to uh, drain it and wash it out. But other than that, um, or partially drain it, but the mosquito fish were food, and we didn't have a garbage disposal or anything like that, and and there was no um, composting, so to speak, back then. But what I did is, you know, at the end of the every day, I would go and I would dump the leftover um, pieces of vegetables and things like that that we didn't use and and uh, food and just dump it into there. That bred and and encouraged bugs. The turtles loved the bugs. Some of the turtles also loved the leftover food, and they all flourished and and grew. In fact, we had um, a chicken wire going around this this area. And it was really funny because in mating season, I caught one turtle that was coming from a pond in the woods trying to get into our little place to, to mate. And I thought that was kind good, of good, silly. Good. We have good action over here behind this fence. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we had babies, too. And with the babies, we released into the wild because we were living in a very, um, I mean, there was over 200 acres behind our, our house. So with the clear enthusiasm in your voice, I'm wondering, do you miss, obviously this was some time ago, but do you miss it? Oh, I totally miss it. Yeah. Totally miss it. And it was a lovely thing. And we and the two turtles, the one that we raised, and then we he, he was Mr. Basker, and we had Mrs. Basker. And they, like she said, they came when... When we called and I would come out, they knew who I was and probably they knew. And I would say, here, Basker. And probably they they heard, here, food. But they would come out of the upper upper pond, roll down the hill, go to the little pond, swim over and come over to me. It was pretty amazing. Wow. Um, but they knew. And I love turtles today. I just, I, I, I'm thrilled anytime I see one. And if I see an injured one or one in the road, I will, you know, move it if, if it's fine or, or take care of it. But turtles are pretty incredible creatures. Well, that is a passionate uh, testimonial of sorts. So thank you very much for your call. You're welcome. So Susan, ATR is a rescue. It's right there in the name. And often rescue suggests a certain outcome for the animal being rescued. So I'm kind of curious to know, both in the in the beginning years as well as subsequently, were there some instances of rescued turtles and tortoises being released back into the wild, or did they always kind of end up in the sanctuary? Well, that's where we have a bit of a debate, because um, the people who re, um, rehab turtles and tortoises believe that they should be put back in the wild. I am opposed to that, because when they have been sick or injured, um, if they've been sick, it's easy for them to take um, germs back to the other turtles out in the wild. And um, also, uh, I think that once they're in captivity for any reason, it's better to just keep them um, out of the wild. And so most of the time when we get an injured turtle, um, they stay here. But um, if people call me, I say, you know, congratulations, you now have a turtle. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a debate between the rescuers and the uh, rehabbers. And, and is it is it pretty sp- is it split pretty evenly up across people that work with turtles and tortoises in terms of hey they should some of these if they're able to should go back in the wild and others that like yourself feel like for one reason or another it's really unwise to do that so we're just not sending them back into the wild. No, I think 
most rescuers do not send them back to the wild, yeah. as far as I know, and in my conversations with people. And so um, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's the philosophy that um, they're that they're weaker also you know they if, if they've got an injury um they can't always be put back where they were which is important as well yeah they should not be put in a new area because the other turtles could harm them or they they could get disoriented um when i get a turtle here and it's been um you know there have been some kind of negative thing going on and they can't be returned. You know, they just, they can't be returned. Most of the turtles that come into a rescue uh, for one reason or another came in there for a, a big reason. So um, they, they just get, a new turtle gets very disoriented when they come into the rescue for, um, and they won't eat for about a week. And I keep an eye on them. I put a sticker on them so that I can um, be sure to keep, you know, track them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so they, they, um, they, then they eventually, you know, are happy and they get along and they have all their friends here and everything. So, uh, but, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's really, I think, in the best interest of the turtle or tortoise not to be sent back to the wild. Interesting. And also, let's talk about the wild because a lot of places are um, digging, digging up and building things, and then the turtles, you know, are killed. Sure, um, habitats or upset. whatever, and, yeah. um, you know, there's there's a lot of discussion about that. For sure. Well, I'm going to take one more call, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the sanctuary itself and uh, find out about some of the some of the residents there. But anyways, hi, you're on Talking Animal with uh, Susan Tellum. How you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'd like to ask the uh, the young lady a question. Um, the other day when I was on an Eight Lane Highway, there was a turtle, a little small turtle right in the middle, and I stopped my car, which got a lot of people upset, and picked them up and threw them in the car. Now, this was two days ago. I'm going to take them over to the golf course that I play golf at because they got a lot of wild area. But can I do that now, or have I kept them too long? Because I've had them for two days. Well, what I would say is rather than putting them, paying them the golf course, I would go put them back where he was headed. When you see a turtle on the road, the best thing to do is and try not to get killed because <laughs> a lot of people well, stop um, is to send them off on their journey in the direction they're going. Don't turn them around or change their direction because they will just turn around and come back on the road. Um, but if it was on an intersection where an eight lane road came with a six lane road and he was basically right in the middle of the intersection. How he got that uh, far, I don't know because there was cars all around. So I don't want to take him back there. So can I just put it like maybe take him down to the Hillsborough River State Park and release them there? Well, it's, it's better. As you said, the fact that there's a lot of cars in an intersection tells me it's probably someone was, it might have been someone's pet who escaped. And um, they, they're very good at that. So I would do whatever you feel is, if you can't keep it, I would um, definitely. Put it at the golf course, but put it as far away from golfers as you possibly can, because it's just gonna it's just gonna try and get out again or go somewhere, you know. Because now it's okay. not yeah, quite because habitat. Because there's a lot of turtles over there. In fact, we have three nesting turtles on the golf course right now, and uh, okay. he's only maybe five inches long and weighs maybe six ounces. So it's a really okay. small turtle. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like that's probably a good plan. Thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Thank you for the information. Appreciate it. So that reminds me, uh, Susan, um, 
Just earlier today, I saw that there was coverage of, there was a wreck in the panhandle of Florida because a car stopped for a turtle that was crossing and, you know, was obviously trying to protect the turtle and let it get across without having any cars come near it. But I guess it got so nutty or, or people weren't paying attention that I guess some cars hit some other cars. But I mean, to the extent that it's safe, it sounds like that's what people should do is if they see a turtle heading across a path, a road, a street, uh, even a highway, I guess, um, whatever you can do to enable that turtle to continue on its way rather than like grab it or certainly not turn it in a different direction. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Uh, you know, I, 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 I haven't conflicted because I know it's very dangerous to do that. But on the other hand, I know so many people have good hearts and they want to save the turtle. And so, yes, the, the only thing you should do is put it in the direction it's going. Um, and um, if you live in a busy area, more than likely it's not wild, it's a pet. And so you have a couple of choices there. You can either take it home and it becomes your turtle or tortoise, or you can take it to a lo- local veterinarian um, or an animal shelter and tell them you found it because you should not put it back um, if it's in a you know a, an area where there's a lot of traffic or anything like that or that looks like it wouldn't be wild because there are very few wild wild turtles um, for example in um, Los Angeles um, you can pretty much guess that it's they're all um, either pets or they escaped from their enclosure. They're very, very good at escaping. And so um, you have to, it's, it's just like a zoo. If they can see out, they want out. So you have to build your enclosure so they can't can't see out. And since they're pretty small, don't have to make anything big. But I have all of the areas where they look out blocked off. Wow. Okay, that's really interesting. Because, I, I mean, as it happens, I live in kind of a bit more kind of rural enclave. And there are turtles often walking across the street or, or wandering around. But also there's a lot of ponds in in the area that I live, and there's turtles, of course, in those ponds. So sometimes those turtles are coming in and out of those ponds and uh, just ending up somehow crossing a street. So, you know, what tends to be recommended there, at least, is that, again, let them be, let them cross and try to protect them if they're right in the middle of a road. And they'll, wherever, yeah. wherever they're heading, let them keep going, and usually that works out the best. Yes, and, and a lot of times they're leaving the pond because they want to lay eggs. And so... Um, you know, they don't do it in the pond. They actually get out and dig, they dig holes. And, you know, so that is, especially in the spring, that's when they're waking up from hibernation, that's the most common um, reason that they get out of the pond. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right, so I want to make sure we don't give short shrift to uh, World Turtle Day because I'm curious about that and the suspense is killing me to find out more about it. So tell me about it. What was the impetus behind the very first World Turtle Day? Well, you know, I again, uh, having been in the public relations field, I, I thought it would be a good way to talk about turtles, get people interested in turtles. And um, so I came up with the idea, um, and um, now it's trademark, actually, after all these years. But um, I came up with the idea because I thought it was a very good way to educate people around the world about turtles and tortoises. A lot of people love them. Um, It's an opportunity for, um, it's it's not a fundraiser, it's a friendraiser kind of event. 
And so we started it and it was pretty local and then it started to grow and it grow. And the next thing I knew, I was getting emails from all over the world from people just celebrating uh, World Turtle Day. And um, we started trending number one on Twitter and Facebook. And um, it was so, it's so exciting because it, so many people love turtles. It's, um, it's an opportunity for people to talk about their turtles and post photos. And uh, just to, to, I noticed this year it kind of made me laugh. There's a lot of uh, events going on at bars where people are um, celebrating World Turtle Day um, and, um, you know, having drinks and so on. So yeah. um, the, they're doing fundraisers at, at the bars. You know, you come in and that money goes to local rescues. So, oh, that's great. Um, yeah, it turned into it turned into a giant day. And the funny thing is, it's my birthday. Oh, wow. I put it on my birthday so that I could remember the date because I wasn't sure back, you know, 20-some years ago that I would remember World Turtle Day. Sure. The first time I started it. It was experimental. And now I don't have yeah. a birthday anymore because it's, it, all... it's from it's from early morning to late at night that I'm on the computer talking to everybody about World Turtle Day. So not, that's okay. I don't need one. <laughs> yeah, no, that, at a certain point, I think we all sort of say, hey, I could, I could use a bit less celebration calling attention to my birthday, but if I could celebrate a turtle, now we're talking. So Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it truly has. I guess it started about... In 2000, right? So it was 20, 23 years ago? Right. right. Yeah. So it's, it really has taken off and, and it does have like kind of a, a global aspect to it now. So are there just a, a couple of sample things you could think of that, that are notable in terms of the way uh, World Turtle Day is celebrated in, in this country or in this area as opposed to others? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, we do Twitter um, Facebook and all of the social media um, a lot. And so that's the biggest thing for World Turtle Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other countries, they they do. Um, I got, I'm trying to remember the country. It was, um, uh, it's been a while. They sent me a photo of them uh, all standing up with big signs that spelled out World Turtle Day. Um, and people just, uh, you know, they, because the internet is so busy now, they can, they can, uh, go to our website, you know, for World Turtle Day and post photos and talk and, um, say what they're doing. And so yeah. it's really fun. We learn a lot about what people like, you know, to do on World Turtle Day and schools are having, you know, schools are, uh, are really celebrating this. This year, I'm getting a lot of uh, information from teachers. In fact, my own grandson is doing a whole presentation. He's he's in um, kindergarten. Oh, wow. So he's got a World Turtle Day t-shirt, and he's um, bringing sticker books for everybody in the class. And his teacher, I bought his teacher a World Turtle Day shirt, too, so she could celebrate with us. Oh, and, that's great. Um, Wow. Yeah, so the schools have really adopted it, which makes me really happy because then they can all talk about turtles and educate the kids when they're little about yeah. how important they are. It's a great way to sort of build an educational experience around something, you know, otherwise fun and like it's a, you know, kind of a quote unquote holiday. So, I mean, I think that's great for schools and other educational uh, areas to, to sort of respond to that and use that as a great jumping off point for learning a lot more about turtles. Let's take uh, another Call there if we can. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Susan Tellum. Hello. Hello. Hello, it's you. Go ahead, please. Hi. Um, I wanted to just point out that 
um, according to the Centers for Biological Diversity and um, other people that track the um, high rate of extinction that we're experiencing, that we really need to rely on more on local government and making sure that our locally elected officials are doing things to provide additional protections for species like the gopher tortoise. Um, we, the Hillsborough County Commission missed that opportunity last month when they voted against additional protections at the county level for gopher tortoises. Um, the statewide protections are um, a little weak because they don't have the same requirements and they certainly don't have the same penalties for builders that just go ahead and bulldoze over tortoise burrows um, without regard for the state laws. Yeah. So um, I think that's, that's an example that voters here in Hillsborough County and elsewhere need to know about. Let's pay attention to people that are willing to go that extra step to protect these, uh, these species that are so critical to our habitats here in Florida. I think that's a really important point, especially, again, as uh, just more and more development and construction and all kinds of things happen to, uh, you know, keep affecting uh, animals' habitat, including these, these uh, turtles. That, Thank you correct. for that call. Thank you for bringing this up because this is the bane of my existence. It is, um, it is uh, throughout the United States. I have not had one politician back us on any of this kind of thing for all of these years that I've been working on it. We have been aggressively trying to stop um, the live food markets where the, um, the turtles are being sold throughout the United States. You probably have one in your own neighborhood when you find, you, you, you know, you'll find out. And I have a, uh, another colleague who um, is in um, the nonprofit business and has been trying also with me for years to stop that importation of other people's, other uh, states' turtles and tortoises into California. Not one politician in all these years that I have written to, talked to, tried to get behind this has been helpful or even interested. It's very, very sad. And, you know, 61% of turtles and tortoises are um, on the way to extinction. And wow. this is the first time because, you know, they survived the, 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 with the dinosaurs 18 million years ago. Um, they uh, they survived the dinosaurs, and here they are being, um, being scrubbed off the face of the earth thanks to um, all of the things that are going on. So I appreciate this call very much because I would really like to be people to know that, that, that politicians don't care about turtles and tortoises. Caller, thank well, you for your call. And Susan, thank you for your time. We have just about reached the end of our time. We've been speaking with Susan Tellum, American Tortoise Rescue. Tortoise.com is the website. And she notes there on all kinds of social media platforms. And you can find out more, a lot of great information on the website and find out about all kinds of things, including World Turtle Day coming up on, on next Tuesday, the 23rd. So, Susan, thank you so much for uh, making the time to join us on Talking Animals. I think we learned, all learned a lot about turtles and tortoises uh, today. So I appreciate it. Was it was wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you. Um, go turtles. <laughs> there you go. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll speak with Kendra Conzi, who owns Health Mutt, the natural pet market, dog wash in Seminole Heights, playing host to Pet Fest this weekend. That's May 20th and 21st. Festival offer uh, adoptable animals, local pet vendors, and more. 
There are some details of that shortly. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a fave of ours, Martha Kelly, with a piece called Horses Hate That We Ride Them. Today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Obviously, I love animals a lot. And um, I recently have become a vegetarian and also kind of an animal activist. Um, I'm not in PETA, but I have watched Blackfish a bunch of times. And uh, I bring it up at the drop of a hat. And if you haven't seen it, it's a documentary about this killer whale that was captured from the wild when he was a baby. And he's lived in captivity his whole life and he's killed three people. And the last one was his trainer. And um, he's not the only killer whale in captivity that has attacked trainers. There's another one that killed a trainer. And then there's a bunch of them that have attacked and injured trainers. And SeaWorld has been around for over 50 years now. I just feel like it should be really obvious at this point that we need to stop encouraging these whales to pursue careers in show business because they are super unprofessional. And... They should, oh, well. Thanks, guys. I was kind of nervous about taking a drink of water. I was afraid I was going to accidentally throw it in my face, but um, little, a little high energy. Um, sorry. Um, I also... One of my other radical ideas about animal rights is I don't think that we should ride horses anymore. I feel like they really hate it. Um, they have to hate it. Because if they didn't, then how come we never see horses giving rides to other animals in the wild? <laughs> it seems like something they would do. It would be super cute. Um, That was Martha Kelly in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Horses Hate That We Ride Them, taken from an appearance of Martha's on Comedy Central. Now it's time to speak with Kendra Conzi, who owns Health Mutt at the Pet Fest taking place this weekend. This is Kendra Conzi on Talking Animals on WM. Good morning, Kendra. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Oh, I'm happy to be here. So let's start uh, just with a quick overview of what Health Mud is. What what does it do? What what do you have there? What do you sell there? Sure. So we started Health Mud about 12 years ago in Seminole Heights. Uh, we rehomed it to a new location about five minutes down the road um, about a year ago. And it's a natural pet market. And we also have a self-service dog wash, and we have grooming services there. Wow. Um, our, our main thing really is pet nutrition, so pet food, um, but we have a whole variety of, you know, treats, toys, all sorts of everything that you would need for both dogs and cats. So you could pick up some dog food, and then uh, I could give my dog a bath in the same visit, it sounds like. Yep, exactly. Very efficient. easy for you. Very efficient. I like that. All right, so <laughs> let's talk about Pet Fest. First of all, is this the initial one, or is there some history to this? Yeah, no, this is our, our first one. So we're trying it out, and hopefully it'll get a good response, and then, you know, maybe we can do a bigger version each year or something like that. But yeah, this will really be our first time, especially because we're now next to a brewery, so that adds a whole new element of fun. Okay, <laughs> sure. Well, um, so why did you launch it? What was kind of the what made you think, hey, we've been doing this for quite some time, let's do a pet fest and see how that goes? Uh, Well, really, the idea was, 
to have a way to combine dogs and beer, which everyone loves, uh, but then also to give a platform for a lot of the rescue groups that are around. Uh, we're going to have several rescue groups there with their adoptable dogs, and we knew that that would be something that would be important because they're not the ones that are shelters. So people, you know, don't have the easy access to be able to meet all of these dogs and get to know them and their personalities. There's also a huge need right now for uh, foster parents. Yeah. Uh, so getting getting them out and getting that platform, uh, we just thought it would be, you know, a really good way to kind of help out that cause. Cool. So what are some of the uh, the groups that will be there with uh, adoptable dogs? Uh, we have Heidi's Legacy. We have uh, Second Chance. We have Animal Lovers. We have uh, Rags to Riches. Nice. Um, so it's a nice yeah, mix, several. sounds like. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And then I think uh, also the part of the, the mix is local pet vendors. What, what are some of the examples of that? Yeah, so a lot of those are going to be pet food vendors, um, really there to help answer any questions that people might have about, let's say, their uh, pet is a picky eater or is itchy. We're getting that one a lot right now. Mm. Uh, maybe they have a pet that's overweight. Uh, so we have a lot of people there that are going to give samples and kind of help people out on that regard. But then we're also going to have, you know, pet sitters, dog walkers. And we're also going to have some local craft people there that have really cute, you know, there's a girl that does these really cute coffee mugs. And she has some that says, like, adopt, don't shop. And really cute stuff like that as well. That sounds great. And then I believe there's a raffle. What, what, what can I win? Kendra? <laughs> so we have a dog raffle and we have a cat raffle and it's there it's very simple to enter you just have to buy something anything and you're automatically entered to win one of these raffle prizes and they're both worth uh over three hundred dollars each wow well, what a deal oh, sounds great i know it'll be fun and then you've noted there's going to be beer because i guess the proximity to the beer uh Pretty much accounts for that. But is there food there? I think there was, I don't know if it's food trucks, but I think there was some reference to food being part of this extravaganza. Yep, we're definitely going to have food. So we'll have food trucks there, different trucks each day. The event is from 10 until 4, Saturday and Sunday. So it'll be different food each day. But yeah, there will be food. There's going to be drinks. And the brewery is also doing a fundraiser of its own uh, where they're giving a dollar from each beer sold uh, for pints for pups to Frankie's friends, which is a, a another great nonprofit. That's great. Wow. Well, this all sounds really good. So, again, I think you've already covered that it's this Saturday and Sunday. It's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's at Health Mutt, which is 5023 North Florida Avenue. And I guess you could also check out the website or your socials for uh, further information. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a blast. We'll see you this weekend. Thanks so much, Kendra. Thank you so much. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into a block of Latin programming and beyond here on WMF. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment is a prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's named that animal tune on Talking Animals on WMNF.
animals. All right, if you can name that animal tune, we'll take your guest probably off the air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMF Tampa. Invite to join me next Wednesday with my guest will be artist Jane O'Hara, who has a huge exhibit opening in Massachusetts called State of the Union. It includes all 50 states as a way to examine the exploitation of animals in each state alongside the desirable fun image that the states would like to project. And I think this is going to be moving around nationally as well. So this promises to be a provocative conversation. Indeed, O'Hare was a guest on Talking Animals in 2018, so I invite you to join me for that show. I also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there, too, as well as on other podcast platforms. Links to our social medias are there as well. I also want to quickly add for an additional opportunity to, to meet some adoptable pets. The Merciful Project doing Potty in the Plaza Saturday, May 20th from 3 to 6 p.m. Channelside Drive, downtown Tampa, Raybon Plaza. So activities for your rescue dogs and adoptable dogs and puppies and pizza and refreshments and more. So that's all coming up again also on Saturday, May 20th. So thanks for listening. This is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. Brandon Clearwater Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. Scott Elliott's up next after five minutes of NPR News headlines, and we'll catch you next Wednesday on Talking Animals on WMNF. Thanks.